I'm Brendan Yurick, uh, one of the founders and the CEO of Electric Royalties. Uh, we are a young royalty company uh, focused exclusively on those energy metals really required uh, for the transition of clean energy. Uh, there are nine different markets, uh, nine different metals, uh, relatively small markets today, but uh, you know, exponential growth forecast moving forward. Uh, we've already got uh, 20 royalties. Uh, we're really targeting those deposits within North America, Europe, and Australia. Uh, that could fit the bill as a domestic source of supply for these metals, uh, including lithium, copper, uh, nickel, and, and, and all those. Um, and uh, we've got cash flow. We've got about $4 million cash in the bank. Uh, we just announced a partial royalty sale for uh, $4 million cash as well. So we're on a pro forma basis looking to have about $8 million cash in the bank. Uh, and that's more cash than we've ever had to date. So um, it's an exciting time to uh, you know be cashed up in this type of market um, and looking to uh, keep growing here as we move forward. Brendan, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, good to see you again. Um, I last, we, we did a, an interview, uh, we spoke, I think, in the, the beginning of March, so uh, four and a half months ago. Uh, it's been a wild time in the markets. Um, <laughs> commodity prices are crashing around our ears. The US dollar's gone on a tear. Um, do you want to just kind of comment on the last four, four or five months for you know what you've been up to and kind of how it's kind of impacted um, being impacted by the kind of the, the wider events in the market? Yeah, well, it's a little bit crazy, right? Our share prices uh, has been absolutely beaten up. Um, and we should be a pretty good bet in an inflationary environment, uh, just from the, uh, you know, ends of a royalty company, you know, protected against capital cost inflation. We don't have to put up those development costs, capital costs, uh, protected against operating cost inflation, uh, you know, because we have no operating costs. Uh, and, you know, these are uh, scarce metals. You can't print more of them, uh, you know, like they can money. And uh, even lithium prices are still up over, you know, around 400% this year, though. Um, and our portfolio is heavy lithium. The crazy thing is, you know, our share price has cratered, but we've just been having good news across the board. Uh, you know, 150 million was just raised uh, to put one of our lithium assets into production by Sayana Mining. Uh, you know, just in the last month, we had a PEA come out on another one of our assets, you know, 47 year mine life. Uh, we're expecting on the base case, it'll pay about US three and a half million a year once production. Uh, and so, you know, we've had just good news coming out. So, you know, theoretically our value has gotten, should be much higher than it was even a month ago, but, um, you know, tough markets all around. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to present an opportunity, uh, really for growth, you know, copper has been hit. A lot of these metal prices have been hit, uh, but it's, it's so short-sighted, uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, zinc stocks and are, are at like record lows right now. Um, you know, metal across the board is, is, uh, you know, uh, much lower than it was this time last year for inventories. Uh, but prices are plummeting. And uh, I know the supply side hasn't gotten better. And that takes an average, you know, 15 years uh, development timeline for each of these assets. So, you know, we'd have some eyesight on that happening. Um, and so, so you know, the, 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 um, the, the stock market is, is often a, um, a, a quite a kind of, um, responsive reflection of the mood in the market. You know, it, it deals with quite immediate events. It deals with um, the, the, these very... Uh, quicksilver sentiments, and we've seen that in the in the sell-off. Um, I completely agree with you that the long-term supply fundamentals of many of these uh, metals are critical, and of course we can see those demand drivers in the kind of um, the medium term. But in the short term, we, we are dealing with a a sell-off as there's so much uncertainty about the economy. Is there a recession coming? You know, what's the impact of COVID on China? Um, and then, of course, we've got the kind of the, the strong dollar, which is pushing all the prices down. So th there are these immediate um, 
short-term impacts, but I think perhaps, um, well, I want to just ask a couple of questions. First of all, you've done a capital raise. Um, you've raised less than that. Uh, you know, to, to date, our company's only raised, uh, even going back to our private uh, days, about uh, $10.5 million, uh, or so. Um, and we're going to have about $8 million cash in the bank here, <laughs> you know, on a pro forma basis in a, in a month. So we've been very good building this portfolio. Uh, we're, we're very frugal with our cash. Um, you know, our G&A burn is, is very, very low. Uh, so, you know, theoretically, we could survive for the next four or five years. But really, this is an opportunity, I think, uh, for us to go out there and get royalties on assets that, um, you know, quite frankly, three months ago, yeah, were, other, were otherwise unavailable, you know, to us or would have been much more expensive. Um, so can, you tell, yeah. can you tell me a bit about that capital raise? Uh, you know, who did you go to and um, when did you do it? Yeah, so we did that a couple months ago, uh, quite frankly. Our share price had already come off quite a bit. Uh, we ended up raising that money at uh, 30 cents. Uh, they had a warrant attached to that as well at 45 cents. Um, you know, we got a, a, an institutional investor in that took up a large chunk of it. That was Canaccord uh, that led that financing. Um, and so that was a, it was a much different experience than our, our previous financing, uh, just doing that on our own. But uh, yeah, Canaccord's been good. They raised that money very quickly. Um, you know, we decided not to uh, oversubscribe. We, we were fully subscribed. But, you know, quite frankly, our last financing before that was at 40 cents. And, uh, you know, we didn't want to uh, raise too much money at these prices. Um, we're glad we did now because uh, we have a bit of cash. Um, and as I mentioned, alongside that partial royalty sale, I mean, the crazy thing is, you know, if you look at it right now, our market cap's around 23 million. Uh, we've got 4 million cash in the bank. We've just announced this deal, which puts an implied valuation of 6 million on Seymour Lake. And that really leaves, you know, 13 million enterprise value to, for you guys to you know, sparse across the rest of our 19 assets. So it's, it's a little bit crazy right now. Tell me about Seymour um, Lake. Who did you sell the... the I mean, what was that monetization event? Can you just kind of describe yeah. that a bit? Yeah, sure. So uh, we picked that royalty up. It's a one and a half percent NSR. We picked that up last year, uh, February of last year, for a million dollars in shares um, at the time. And uh, you know, right now we're monetizing a piece of that, so we're selling one percent, one and a half percent, for four million, four million cash uh, to a private group called Lithium Royalty Corp. Now. You know, part of that is, you know, we picked that up. Uh, our portfolio is pretty heavy lithium. Uh, we have a number of assets like that that we picked up last year. They've raised, uh, I believe, over about $70 million for Seymour Lake since just in November of this past year. But for us, it's still, you know, four or five years, at least from production. Uh, you know, we are a little bit heavy lithium and uh, we just feel that we can use that cash uh, to uh, keep growing, keep adding diversification and uh, get into stuff that's, you know, maybe a little bit earlier uh, to cash flow. And what do you see as the the landscape in the royalty um, the, the the royalty scene at the moment? Is it do you, do you still is is there a comp, lot of competition for near term assets? Um, because I I can completely understand that the junior exploration companies are struggling for uh, equity. You know the the, the 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 equity funding has pretty much dried up in the last few months, and so I can imagine that there are some distressed juniors looking to enter that kind of royalty discussion but um the you know what for the for that's for the expiration place but for the near-term assets for the for the kind of um one to two years production is there still a lot of competition for those royalties yeah i think uh if you look at production and near-term production um really pfs to fs level and operating uh if you're looking at sizes of 
let's call it 20 million. That's where all the big money is competing. Um, so you'd have all the big private equity groups, you know, funds with, you know, 300, 400 million in the bank. Um, and uh, so it's really competitive, you know, even the big royalty guys, you know, they'll, they'll definitely play in that range. Um, and so there's a lot of competition. What we've been trying to do really is be a little bit sneaky. I mean, we haven't really had much competition. Uh, we're the only group out there targeting a lot of these different metals. Uh, you know, we did the first graphite royalty financing ever uh, just a couple of years ago. You know, I think we're the only guys that get really pumped up about 10 these days. Uh, but, you know, all these different clean energy metals, a lot of them we don't have competition on. Um, but we're trying to be a little bit sneaky about it, you know, really get in right before PFS level, I think is really the the optimal time from a, a value perspective. There's no one else really servicing that market. Um, you know, I would say the same thing would be for, you know, groups that maybe are a little bit smaller, you know, they don't have that um, asset that's going to be attracting a, you know, a, a national buyer like China, uh, just because it's a little bit smaller, you know, like the copper deal that we just did. Uh, but we like those assets, you know, things that actually could make it in production, you know, they don't have such a big uh, production footprint, um, you know, they're underground or, you know, fairly small or fairly simple, uh, smaller operations. So, you know, we like that from a permitting perspective. You know, something that we can actually help, you know, uh, attract some some uh, investors to actually put into production and a junior could actually uh, do. But really in that PFS to PEA level. Right. So where at least investors can see the, the economics of it. You know, we have a, a better sense. Um, you know, they usually have a, a technical report out. that's really nice for us to be able to go through as kind of an initial due diligence step. Uh, but really, yeah, that's that's kind of where we can go. And the nice thing is there you're actually you're getting into assets that are, uh, you know, potentially three to four years from production. But, yeah. you know, payback on those would be like kind of one year of production. Um, and so it's, it's much more accretive than, say, you know, you're going in and paying you know, essentially seven, eight, nine times cash flow, you know, to get into a typical producing asset. Um, but that's an, another area I'm, I'm excited about because I think there is a market below $20 million, you know, where a company might need $5 million here or $5 million there, uh, where royalties are great, you know, because uh, we're not making them uh, tie those payments to any specific timelines. When they're making money, if they're making better money, you know, we're making better money with them. Um, and so I think there's going to be opportunities for us to go a little bit further, uh, you know, down the stream, um, targeting kind of smaller deals, uh, just because there isn't that much money out there for that. When you say that you're targeting kind of the PEA to the PFS kind of bracket as your kind of your, your, your core focus, um, and you mentioned kind of three to five years uh, or three to four years uh, from production, um, and you mentioned permitting, you know, that's, that's, that's a critical time, isn't it? Um, do, you, do you see ESG and permitting as a soft risk or a hard risk? Oh, I'd, I'd say it's a, it's a huge risk. Um, and I think if you look at the projects that we've gotten into, you know, none of these are, are mega projects, you know, Las Bombas or, you know, uh, JDAR in, in Serbia. Uh, you know, and so I, you see some of our competitors, they get into a lot of these big multi, you know, <laughs> you got tech and BHP kind of thing, you know, uh, running that operation. And it's going to be just a you know, massive, massive open pit or something. You know, most of ours are, are reasonable. You know, they're pretty small footprints. Uh, we like stuff that's, you know, like our nickel asset, past producing, underground mine. Um, you know, even our, our, our recent copper acquisition, it's a, you know, copper oxide project, you know, relatively smaller footprint. Uh, and so we, we like those, you know, I think that's part of it is uh, reduced risk on permitting. You know, we also choose our jurisdictions pretty carefully. Uh, if you look, you know, we are heavy in Canada right now, but it's really Eastern Canada, Quebec, <laughs> you know, not too much in BC. 
uh, you know, because there are, it, it can be tough. Uh, we don't have any projects, you know, in California in the U.S., for example. Um, you know, our recent deal would be in Arizona. Uh, you know, we have a, our, our zinc mine is in mid-Tennessee. Um, but uh, yeah, no, look, a lot of the decisions that we make, a lot of the choices about jurisdiction, you know, types of assets that we want to get into, um, a lot of that revolves around permitting. Um, you know, ESG is, is also definitely a factor of that. Uh, you're looking into that already, um, you know, as part of permitting uh, and, you know, stuff like do they have hydropower and, and good access to, you know, cheap renewable energy is always kind of an easy one. But yeah, I definitely think if you look at our portfolio, you'll understand that is a huge risk and we see it as a big risk. Um, and so we do allocate, you know, what assets we want to get into um, appropriately, but it, we definitely take that into consideration. And um, how should a, um, a retail investor, how should a kind of a... Um, um someone in the street, uh, give a, how should they ascribe a future value to a royalty that's at the PEA or PFS stage? I mean, it's, it's when, when a royalty is in production, when, when an asset is in production, you've got a royalty, you know, you can see that there's a, um, the, the, the cash flow multiple that's applied to these companies. I mean, we were talking about it earlier, you know, kind of about 10 times for the junior end and kind of up to 20 times for the, for the, for the bigger royalty companies. So if, if your royalty is generating, let's say, at a million dollars a year, if it's sitting within a small company, it might ascribe, you may be able to ascribe, let's say, $10 million of value to the company. Um, how that's- does it work? How does it work? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great point of, of the, the value growth that I think uh, investors don't necessarily see. It's like Seymour Lake. You know, we're, we're selling that a year later at pretty much a 6x valuation that we paid for it. Now, lithium prices have gone up, but a lot of money and work has been going into that asset. Um, and so, yeah, look, I mean, if you look at, say, just Battery Hill, and I won't make a prediction in terms of when it comes into production, but it is the only manganese district in North America, <laughs> not really being developed for the EV space. Uh, so I think it has some, some impetus to it. Um, but once that's in production, you know, on the base case, uh, based off their PEA, we're expecting about, you know, three and a half million US. Uh, so let's call that, you know, kind of roughly 5 million Canadian. And so, yeah, on the juniors, you know, you're looking at about 10 times cash flow. And so that would imply, you know, once in production, uh, whenever that date would be, you know, an implied valuation of 50 million, uh, potentially for just that, that royalty. And so, you know, when you look at right now, I said, I think we have, you know, 13 million enterprise value really spread across 18 of our assets, 19 of our assets. Um, and so, yeah, when you have royalties like that in that portfolio, you can see that just you know down the road a few years, just by waiting, because we don't have to put up any more money for that project to go in production. Uh, really, that's all done by other parties. We have no holding costs. Yeah, you can start to see that if you could just see three, four years out here, uh, the portfolio uh, should be growing in value incredibly as these things start to come in production. And you know, I would say that because we've been targeting this, you know, kind of three to five years out, we've been around for two years now. And so a lot of the assets we actually got into, you know, two years ago, we're looking forward to entering production over the next kind of 12, 18 months. Um, and so it takes a little while longer to do that, but now you're gonna see our portfolio really start to do a lot of the heavy lifting for us. Um, and then us just being a creative, you know, continually picking up good deals as we go. So so what are the what are the assets which are most likely to come into production? I mean, um, the, the, this is one of the, the, the difficult things about an expert, about a royalty company. Is that there are so many kind of projects, and um, yeah. is it is it is it OTA? I mean, is it the lithium there? Is it Sona? Is that the next thing to come in production? It's not yeah, well, really I, would, I would imagine so. I mean, they've uh, acquired the Canada Lithium Mine, uh, which was the really the only producing lithium mine in Canada, and OTA sits right next door to it, um, and so that's a much easier you know uh, path forward to production. Basically, the plan is to blend a war from Oche. 
uh, to ramp up production at that mine. And uh, from my understanding, it's really the ore body of Canada lithium mine. That's been the kind of the biggest challenge. And so the O2 ore body is a, a source of blended ore for that. Uh, seems to be really the only solution uh, that uh, that I've heard about. And uh, they're fully funded. They've raised uh, you know over 150 million in the last month alone uh, to basically put that in production in 2023. So that's definitely a candidate. Um, you know, I would say Graphmata is another potential candidate uh, to be the next one that comes into production. Um, you know, it's a past producing graphite mine uh, operated for over 20 months continuously. Had all of their product qualified with off-takers, big step in that space. And uh, so they, you know, they have everything there. They just upgraded their resource uh, and their long stated plan was to upgrade the resource ahead of bringing it back online at uh, double the production capacity they were previously. So but um, um, in the, in the, in the resource statement, you know, the one that they just put out, they also talk about the next steps and um, the next steps they're talking about doing geophysics and more drilling. It, it seems to me that they're actually now more interested on developing a bigger project rather than bringing the, 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 the then doing a small scale restart. Um, yeah. yeah, well, I think part of that's always, uh, you know, they have a pretty decent resource there already. Um, they've got all the mining infrastructure, having their product qualified with optakers. Like I said, that's a very, very big step in the graphite space. Um, yeah, I mean, look, they want to build a bigger resource. It doesn't cost very much to double the production capacity at a lot of these graphite operations. And, you know, we've looked at quite a few, but the magic number seems to be kind of like 20 million um, in terms of additional CapEx to up your throughput by two. And so, uh, you know, it makes sense, right? <laughs> to, to go be able to capture those economies of scale. Um, and so, yeah, there, there might be a little bit more of a, a delay in terms of, uh, you know, getting it back. But once it comes back in production, um, you know, it should be a, a much nicer paying royalty. Uh, obviously, if they double their production, our expected revenues would be uh, doubled as well. Yeah. Remind me what you're looking for to what's your kind of cash flow multiple or your cash flow that you're looking to get from the graph matter kind of on, on the old base case? Uh, I think we're looking at about US 1 million uh, would be would be our target. Yeah. Okay. Graphite pricing is, is still a little opaque. I mean, from my, uh, you know, from from our discussion, and it matters. It really matters by mind by mind. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, from our discussions, we we believe graphite prices are still up over about sixty percent. Um, you know, even over the, the last kind of six months here. So you know, all these prices are moving. Um, lithium markets are definitely got the most spotlight. Uh, but I think as you uh, move forward here over the next few years, as these markets become uh, more visible, more liquid, uh, more regulated. Um, you, people are going to start to understand. I mean, these prices are already going uh, and it's, it's driven by supply. You know, everybody talks about the demand side, uh, but really the, the whole growth here in the, and pricing moving forward will be the supply side uh, because it's just, um, you know, we haven't had much money going in and it's, uh, like I said, average 15 year development time. And you can't really overcome uh, that period of uninvestment. But, uh, you know, it's much easier to forecast uh, demand models based off of, you know, um, macro, <laughs> you know, economic forecasts and all that. You can't really do that uh, for the supply side uh, for, for mining. You know, you have to have intricate knowledge of mining and the deposits out there globally. Yes, and and approach it with a healthy degree of skepticism. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing too. I mean, uh, <laughs> those banks always expect every project to make it in production. And uh, we are, there are definitely not that many out there. You know, I'd say yeah. we hit maybe what, one for 10? Uh, one for five would be maybe optimistic. So um, yeah, look, mining is, is more difficult than people realize. Uh, metallurgy is definitely a much a bigger challenge in our space. And so, you know, that would be probably, you know, between permitting and metallurgy, I mean, you're looking at probably 50, 60% of our decision matrix 
um, you know, getting into different royalties. Okay. And what's, what's, what's going on in Madagascar at the moment? It's, it's, it's always been a, a strange environment. It's a strange, um, a strange operating environment in Madagascar. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's honestly, it's an outlier in terms of jurisdiction that we're interested in. Um, but there are, you know, for tin, tin kind of occurs in Tasmania, it occurs in the UK. Uh, graphite, Madagascar just seems to be a, a pretty special place for graphite. You know, um, you had uh, Mick Davis recently came in uh, for a large investment. There's a couple other operators in the country. Um, you know, it's, it's got its challenges, I think, like a lot of places, um, you know, probably not too dissimilar from uh, what you face in Chile in terms of, you know, water shortages, uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, but, you know, for, for graphite, uh, you know, we felt like Madagascar is a pretty special place. Um, you know, we feel like they can operate there. Uh, but obviously, you know, has challenges like operating, uh, you know, anywhere where they have um, issues with water, uh, water availability. You can't uh, choose where you find your deposits, I guess. Well, that's the thing, right? Uh, you know, if you look at uh, global production, um, you know, China's producing 60% of graphite, 60% of tin. Uh, you know, they produced over uh, 99% uh, of MSM, manganese for the EV space, uh, you know, as of 18 months ago. Indonesia, nickel, 60% or so. Uh, cobalt, 60%, uh, you know, comes out of uh, Congo. Congo. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, look, I mean, the first international uh, trade was set up over uh, tin mines, you know, 2000 years ago. <laughs> and so I think that's going to kind of come back as a, as a funny theme here in the near future. But um, uh, yeah, look, I mean, you kind of have to go where the metal is. Uh, we're really targeting those deposits, like I said, in, in these jurisdictions, North America, Europe, Australia, but We've already got uh, royalties all in and around the only producing lithium mine in Canada. Uh, we've got a royalty on the only uh, vertically integrated with the only primary zinc producer in the U.S. You know, we've got one of two tin assets in the U.S. that might be potentially, uh, potentially economically viable. And we've got the only manganese district really in North America being developed in the EV space. So we're already, uh, you know, we're already getting the, the onlys and the best, uh, you know, of these assets in those jurisdictions. Um and you, like I say, you can't print more of these. Uh, you know, they take thousands, millions of years uh, for these deposits to form, and uh, they occur where they occur. And um, your your zinc um, royalty at the moment is paying out. At the moment, is it sort of what's the zinc price? It's still because you've got a, you've got a tiered uh, payment, don't you? A different zinc prices. It's kind of it's above ninety cents that it that it kicks in. Is that right? Uh, yeah, so uh, above 90 cents, it kicked in and between 90 cents and $1.10, uh, it's a 1% royalty and anything over $1.10, it's a 1.4% royalty. Um, you know, since we acquired that royalty, it's been healthily above uh, 1.1. Um, you know, zinc prices were as high as $2. Uh, you know, they're briefly just, you know, just a few months ago. They've come back quite a bit, but we're still expecting that, uh, you know, it's going to pay about half a million dollars this year uh, or a portion back to us. Uh, we actually have an option to increase that, uh, our royalty percentage to double it. Um, and we have that option coming out this August and uh, next August, uh, whereby, you know, essentially we pay uh, what Sprott paid. We brought the uh, Sprott in on that deal, uh, minus the cash flows they've actually received uh, for that portion of the royalty. So it would cost us about $4 million or so, four and a half million bucks. Uh, and we'd be looking to do that, uh, you know, probably next year. Um, just given where our valuation is right now, it would be uh, it would be really a heavy weighting towards that one asset. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you go back to our, our kind of enterprise value of 13 million and you have, you know, our battery hill royalty, which we talked about, you have this royalty, it's already paying us half a million dollars a year. Um, you know, you could, if we, if we were getting a junior 
type, uh, uh, you know, valuation, let's call that, you know, maybe 5 million, a 10 time valuation. Um, and you still got, you know, another uh, 17 assets to really kind of dive through in our portfolio to, to you know, fill out that, that 13 million enterprise value. So, um, um, so tell, tell, me, tell me about uh, the battery, the battery hill royalty. Yeah, well, that's a, it's a, like I said, it's the only uh, district really uh, in North America developing a manganese asset for the EV space. Uh, the metallurgy is really advanced. They've been working on that for uh, about three years now uh, with a very good group called Comecco. And if you look at uh, the other peers out there, there's only really about five developers globally. These guys, I believe, have done the best job on metallurgy. Um, so even though they just put out a PEA, uh, metallurgy, like I said, you know, one of those really kind of key decision points for us, uh, much more advanced than that. Uh, but it's going to have an initial 47-year mine life. You know, they used a pretty uh, conservative base case pricing. So when I say, you know, we expect once in production, uh, be about US three and a half million a year back to us, that's on the base case. Uh, you know, they included an upside case that was about 70% higher than that. Uh, you know, and I think prices, quite frankly, would be, you know, much different when we move forward. And you got a half a percent royalty on that? We have a 2% gross revenue royalty on that asset. So it, it's a nice one. It's a... That's our, our probably our, that's our biggest royalty, um, and it's gross revenue. It's right out the top. There's no deductions, um, you know. So it's it's very easy for uh, investors to calculate, you know, what they expect our uh, revenue to be on an annual basis. Would be uh, production, expected production for that year. You choose the metal price, uh, and then times by our royalty percentage. And who is running Battery Hill? Uh, yeah, so there's a, a management team. A guy named uh, Martin is in there right now. Um, and uh, they've taken it this far. They've got a PEA in there. I believe that they can, you know, take it a little bit further down the road. Uh, but ultimately, um, you know, my guess is that this space is going to be run a lot like Mineral Sands is, you know, where you have a, a big group come in like a Rio Tinto, you know, basically dominate the industry by owning, you know, the two or three top assets globally. Um, and I would definitely count this among them. Um, you know, it's long life. Uh, like I said, metallurgy is very advanced, good jurisdiction. Uh, and I think that's exactly the you know type of deposit um, groups are going to be looking for offtake from. And is it a um, so, so, so the man, so who owns it? Is, it? is it a private company? Is it a junior, junior company? company right now? It's a junior yeah junior public company owns it uh, called Manganese X. And their market cap? Uh, they they've been uh, kicked in the teeth as well. Uh, you know I think it was as high as 100 million you know last year. They're about I think about 25 million themselves right now. Okay, and the the the, the 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 capex figure that they kind of put out, sorry, the capex figure that they put out in the PA was roughly. Uh, I have to go back and check. I, it was it was it was definitely a few hundred million. Uh, I believe it was three fifty four hundred million. Um, but you know, ultimately, yeah. I mean, where their valuation is right now, uh, you know, it wouldn't make sense to build it. But I don't expect that a junior is necessarily going to be putting this into production. Um, I think really you're going to see the, the OEMs, the end users start to move down a little bit into the supply chain. They're going to have to. Um, otherwise, they're, you know, they're, they're spending hundreds of billions of dollars. That's the crazy thing, right? Building out these plants, they're going to need all these metals. Uh, you, know, you can build a plant quicker than you can build a deposit. Um, and so you know, I know from discussions we've had with a few groups, uh, you know, groups like in, in Korea, you know, where you have OEMs actually looking at uh, you know, brass roots, even greenfield stuff. Uh, and I think that's only going to start to pick up as they really start to understand what the supply side looks like. Um, because, you know, everybody else can afford to be kind of day to day. If those guys are spending hundreds of billions on plants that are going to need these metals, you know, they're going to have to be a little bit more proactive. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's going to be an exciting space. Now that they have economics on Battery Hill, um, I'd expect partnership discussions start to, you know, uh, pick up rather quickly. Yeah, great. Um... 
it's it's nice model. I, I like the the I like the precedent of your Seymour Lake uh, deal, where the, the the project advanced and you were able to trade part of your your asset. So just just let's let's break it down then in terms of your market capitalization minus your cash minus the carried implicit valuation of Seymour Lake. Can you just talk me through those numbers, please? Yeah, sure. So uh, right now, as I'm taping this, our market capitalization is around 23 million Canadian. Uh, we've got four million cash in the bank. Uh, you know, we talked. We just did a financing. We had a little bit of cash left over, uh, and then we have the uh, implied valuation of the Seymour Lake deal at six million. Uh, and so beyond Seymour Lake, we've got 19 royalties, right? So pro forma, we'd have eight million cash. Uh, we've got uh, market capitalization of 23 million, and That's that would imply. And then and enterprise then value of thirteen million. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, well. The, the enterprise value of thirteen million. But let's let's um, assume that you've still got uh, five million dollars of valuation you can ascribe to your um, MTM royalty. Yep. Yeah. So that takes you to eight million. Uh, just as a kind of this is just as a uh, kind of a thumb suck building blocks of value. So the so yes, you've got an enterprise value of thirteen million, but you you've also got this. Um, you kind of a look through value block from your from your zinc royalty, and therefore your remaining however many royalties it is. Um, uh, so yeah, 17. so then we'd be at yeah, so then we'd be at eight million, you know, <laughs> on, a, on a theoretical basis here, and we'd be uh, we'd still have uh, another eighteen royalties to go uh, to ascribe value to, and you'd have uh, Battery Hill would be one of those. You know, if somebody said uh, they could buy Battery Hill for eight million today, uh, you know, in a few years down the road, they're going to receive. Uh, five million Canadian back, <laughs> you know, every year for fifty years. I think that'd probably be a bit of a, a bit of a good comparable, uh, and that would mean the rest of our seventeen assets you're kind of getting for free. Um, and we've got uh, Oche, like I said, you know, just raised one hundred and fifty million, looking to put that into production. We talked about Graf Mata, uh, past producing graphite mine, looking to bring that at, at back into production, double the production capacity. You know, we just picked up our um, our first co- or our second copper royalty. You know, fantastic uh, mine. They have a PEA already have about 500 million pounds of copper in the ground. Uh, our money can get them to feasibility, you know, within a couple of years. Uh, you know, we still have our vanadium iron ore development project, Montsocier, probably the best iron ore development project in North America. You know, they had a PEA, they got Glencore as a partner. Uh, it already had a, you know, kind of 40 year mine life. Um, and we've got, yeah, Seymour Lake. We still have part of that. Uh, we've got Cancer, or another lithium royalty they've raised. Uh, about $20 million since November as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, a number of other development assets uh, that, you know, that we can talk through at length, but, uh, you know, the top 10 asset in the U.S. So, yeah, right now, the valuation just doesn't really make uh, much sense. Um, and so it's a great opportunity for people to, to get in and buy. You, 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 you say that, but um, the, the, the big issue is that timeline. You know, you, it's, the, it's the time value of money. Um, um, because really, what what's going to cause a, a change in the valuation of um, electric royalties is going to be some kind of trigger that ascribes more value to a given royalty. I mean, you, I'm, as I, I come back to say that I really like the precedent that the Seymour Lake uh, d- deal did, which was a kind of a, a clear uh, what was the thing you said a six x, you know, in 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 um, less than two years. Um, it's basically trying to help the, uh, you know, to your point, uh, build these building blocks of value. It was a valuation thing, uh, partially as well, you know, uh, just kind of showcasing the market. Hey, look, we're not getting any value for this, but there is value for each of these royalties. Um, and so, you know, that that is a, a tool that I think 
you know, we definitely would use again if we're not getting that value. So, uh, and, you know, I think investors should stay on their toes because if we aren't getting properly described value, uh, which, you know, it's very easy to argue we aren't today uh, for some of these assets, we might decide to uh, jump the gun a little bit, not have to wait till cash flow. Maybe we'll monetize a piece of that today, um, you know, at a much fairer valuation uh, than what the market's given us. Who looks at the valuation properly? Do you, do you have a sensible conversation with other royalty companies? Do, they, do you feel that they know how to, to value royalties? Do mining companies know how to value royalties? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, you know, I typically, the way that we like to do deals in my, my favorite place is we go create new royalties. And in those circumstances, you're, you're identifying an opportunity where maybe they need capital, maybe your capital as a royalty would be a, a better alternative than say equity for that uh, group. And so you're going in, you're trying to uh, fill a need and, you know, for the number of what number they need is kind of, you know, what it ends up being. Right. Um, so I don't really tr- uh, usually negotiate on an NPV basis. That's kind of the go-to, you know, traditionally groups will go, Hey, we need to get an NPV of, uh, you know, X per dollar we invest, or, you know, you got to have a 20% RR. You know, we typically don't, um, you know, go in and do that uh, with groups, but, um, it's always a part of it. Uh, look, I think it's on a case by case basis. I do talk to the other royalty guys. You know, we've got multiple. Uh, we've got Vox as a partner. We've got Globex as a partner. Uh, you know, I've spent my entire career before this, basically advising the junior company side. So we'd, we'd be going around talking to all these different royalty groups. Uh, you know, for for a long time before that. But you know, again, it's it's interesting, right? I mean, metal prices in our space, in the clean energy metal space, um, you know, took off incredibly this year, and so. You know, you have to have a little bit more kind of eyesight in terms of where pricing is at, where it could be going. Um, the biggest average annual price increase for gold, I think, has been 20 percent, 25 percent. You've never seen something like where lithium, you know, up 400 percent. And, you know, a couple of months ago, everything was up 100 percent. Cobalt was up 75. Tin was up 100. So, um, you know, I think value is it's a little bit tougher and it really matters, you know, when you get in and what price stack you're using. Interesting. Yeah. And for the retail investor to to. Um, for the retail investor to um, kind of see a trigger, um, do you think they're looking for feasibility studies? Do you think they're looking for you know, the capital to to be raised? I mean, did the capital being raised for uh, Sayona and the Otier, did, did was that the the bounce in your share price, or, or was that the latest? <laughs> so, no, we haven't quite got it. Look, I think part of it is, I think there's a couple of catalysts. Um, but one would really be us getting enough size. We can attract institutional investment. Um, there's a lot of money that's looking to get into this space. We're kind of that perfect vehicle. You know, we're one way you can get exposure to the entire clean energy space. But you have to be of a size where an institution come in, uh, put a $5 million check in, and they don't go over 10% ownership. So, you know, we're, we're, once we get over that, I think that'll be a, a, big, a big part of that change. Um, but no, look, I mean, uh, they had some good news. Sayona had some good news on OJ on the metallurgy about a month and a half ago. I watched Sayona's market cap go up by 700 million. You know, those uh, went up by 30 times our valuation. And we, I think we stayed even that day or went down. So, uh, no, it hasn't, it hasn't translated into, into that bump for us. I think investors want to see cash flow. Um, you know, that's why we're, we're going to be looking at uh, bringing in some immediate cash flow as well. Not necessarily waiting for for these assets to come in. Um, I think the co-investment model that we use to spread is a great way to, to minimize our dilution, get into the right assets. Uh, but you know, picking away at some stuff that's a little bit smaller, maybe as well. But I think cash flow is really what what people understand the easiest. Um, you know, I don't have to describe our twenty assets, the the you know, the, the future potential of cash flows. Um, but the nice thing is, we'll be cash flow positive once you know OJ Graphmata comes into production. 
Uh, like I said, our GA is very low as a royalty company, uh, and we're not on the hook for paying anything uh, moving forward to take these assets ahead. Uh, um, you know, whether that be expiration development or just you know uh, cost of holding them. Um, so yeah, we wanted to get in, build a portfolio of assets where a lot of that value is going to be done by other parties and, and built, and that's really the accretive nature of those deals. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think investors right now really want immediate cash flow. Uh, they want us to get to you know a dividend position at some point here um, sooner rather than later. So, so you you mentioned that you were kind of pursuing that that cash flow um, route. Can you unpack that a bit for me with a little bit more information on that, please? Well, I think uh, perfect in this market where you have metal prices uh, plunging. Um, you know, groups that are uh, going into operation, um, you know, in construction. Uh, you know, typically those guys are going to need more money. It just ha- you know it's one of the things, right? So. I think in this type of market to have some cash available and to have uh, groups where we've partnered like Sprott, uh, who have you know, a great deal uh, of money um, and, and even Lithium Royalty Corp. I think it's going to let us go out and you know, get some deals where you might have a little bit of distress, might have a lack of capital uh, to get in more, more creatively than you otherwise uh, could in a normal market and do some producing and you know, uh, kind of 12 months, within 12 months production uh, opportunities. So we're going to chase some of those down as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a really good space. You know, we might be able to find some more creative cash flowing deals, um, than you would have been, you know, say six, nine, 12 months ago. It's, uh, it's funny. It's, it's almost as if the market is, isn't rewarding you for what you're planning to do in the future. It's almost as if you're going to have to, um, as you say, show them the money, it's the cash. It's, it's, it, it's just one of those tricky things. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know if you look kind of five years out, I mean, the best thing maybe is we just sit back and just say, you know, let's wait. Because uh, our, you know, if we get to our cash flow estimates from five years from now, it's a fundamentally different company and that's all funded uh, and no cost to us. Um, yeah. and we've got enough cash. We could sit here and wait, you know, uh, we'd be cash flow positive. We just sit and wait. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, it's funny. It's uh, we look at it, you know, there's still opportunity out there that we, we can't miss. I mean, um, it sounds a little bit cheesy, but we do look at it like we're buying royalties on the oil fields of the future. You know, you're talking about uh, for manganese, there's one district, there's one kind of oil field, right, of manganese in North America. And, and we know it's going to be a very important metal moving forward over multiple decades. Uh, and we're the only guys really going in and excited about this stuff now. So yeah. um, it's just the opportunity is really too good to just kind of keep growing, keep adding these while we still can. Do you think... Um, uh... In hindsight, no, we're well, not in hindsight, but do you think there's a, there's a case for being private? Well, yeah, look, honestly, I know what the groups that are private right now are asking in terms of valuation. And uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, 10 plus 15 X, you know, plus us. I saw uh, what a lot of these private portfolios were sold for recently, you know, stuff that was, uh, you know, two, three X our valuation. I would have taken our portfolio in a heartbeat over these, uh, so, yeah, no, look, I mean, we went public in the middle of COVID, you know, it was June 2020. Uh, yeah. We did it as a means to get capital at that time. And yeah. uh, and so that was it. And then the cat was out of the bag. You know, uh, it's been a helpful tool in us being able to use our shares as a source of mm-hmm. acquisition capital. Although yeah. at these prices, you know, it's harder to do. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, look, I, <laughs> hey, there was a couple of weeks ago we were I was looking at like maybe <laughs> we figure out how to go private here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because the market is just—it's uh, really not accurately assessing the value that we have here. Um, and we have, you know, discussions with these private equity groups, so we know what they're asking, we know what they're looking at, and you know, that's Seymour uh, Lake royalty sale—that was a good part of us trying to showcase to the market just what the real valuations are out there. 
um, you know, not, not just in our company, but what they should be. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think I've said it three times already. I'll say it a fourth time that it's a really good precedent and it, it gives you a good look through implicit valuation. Of, of, it's not of, something that, you know, typically groups have done <laughs> out there. So, no, no. You know, we're, we're not afraid to, to do stuff to break the mold. Uh, you know, we're mercurial, whatever uh, makes sense, you know, from a business standpoint, we'll do. I mean, um, I'm all in, right? I'm, I'm like, me. You know, 98% of my wealth is in electric royalties, myself and my family combined are, you know, probably closing around 15%. Uh, we've, we've had another major investor, Stephen, uh, we just announced this morning, uh, he's up to his ownership up to 13%, you know, so just between a, a few very uh, strong shareholders, you know, in Jackstock and Globex, you know, we're closing in around 45%. Um, so we've, we've got a very tight ownership structure, you know, a lot yeah. of good high net worth individuals in there. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, things are going to start to turn around here and uh, uh, there should be some research hopefully coming out you know, over the next kind of month here as well. Um, and so that'll be, that'll be exciting to see too, because, uh, there's a lot of things that hamstrung us or hamstring us in terms of our ability to, you know, talk through numbers of, of ASX companies because they don't have, uh, NI 43 online, uh, you know, we're a public Canadian company. And so there's a lot of things that, that we get hamstrung, but, um, just having somebody go through, do the calculations, you know, <laughs> uh, for all of our 20 assets, I think, uh, you know, it should be helpful as well. Um, can you, can you not... Um, do an asset? Can you not do a, a, a transaction on a JORC compliant resource? Does it have to be NI forty three one hundred one? I can do an acquisition on it, uh, but then if I want to do a press release talking about the economics, when they do a scoping study, a feasibility study, or DFS, I can't, yeah. uh, and so that's really frustrating. Um, yeah. And we do have a number. Most of our lithium assets are, are ASX operators. Yeah. Uh, so it's been uh, yeah, it's, that part's been very frustrating because uh, we have a good amount of value in those assets. Um, and we can't, I can't tell you, you know, <laughs> hey, these are the production profile, even though you can go check it out on their news site. We're not allowed to put that in our news and our presentations. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge for sure. Well, and the other good thing about a, um, having a tight shareholder register, presumably, is that volume um, is relatively light so that when uh, there is a buyer in the market, you can recover your share, share value quite quickly. I mean, they kind of... Um, uh, yeah, you, you, well, you, you, and we, I think one of the, um, you know, we had a couple of sellers going against us for the last kind of 12 months. I'd say probably, uh, you know, across three groups, there was probably about 12 million shares uh, that have been selling. And, and part of that was, you know, we were using our share capital to acquire, uh, you know, certain assets. And, um, you know, that was more of uh, our ability to raise cash at that time versus, you know, wanting to get these deals done. It turned out to be very accretive, you know, uh, by and large. But, um, you know, some of those sellers have sold. I think we're finally through that. I think all the big sellers have finally sold out. We've, uh, like I said, our, our ownership's really been consolidated, um, you know, in very strong hands now. And so, uh, yeah, now I expect that, um, um, you know, hopefully the market should start to uh, re-rate us here as we move forward this year. And we're going to, you know, keep adding good royalties. Like I said, we're going to be trying to add some uh, more immediate cash flow. And, uh, you know, the portfolio is going to do the rest for us uh, as we move forward. So tell me a bit more about your share, sh shareholders. Um, I mean, how much is kind of retail and how much is, can you identify as either family offices or institutions or insiders, friends, you know, the wider friends and family? Yeah, well, I, I just said, uh, you know, between those uh, first three groups, including myself, my family, we're kind of at you know, about 45%. Uh, I think, we, you know, I could probably target and identify uh, we're close to, you know, 80, 85, 90% of our, our stock is at this point. Um, and they're good hands, you know, good high net worth individuals. We don't have a huge institutional uh, grouping just yet. But part of that, like I mentioned, is you know, we're not at the size level where a lot of these groups 
you know, can start mm-hmm. to play. So, um, but it's a, yeah, very good shareholding, very tight. Uh, you know, as of today, we've only ever raised 10 million, right. Or 10 and a half million. We're going to have 8 million cash in the bank, uh, you know, uh, coming up here and we've got 20 royalties. So, uh, you know, it's kind of, um, uh, interesting to see, you know, how you get to there, uh, you know, over the course of two years, but we're, we're very happy with the acquisitions that we made. Um, you know, we were, we're happy that, uh, everything has gone actually, to be honest, much better than we ever expected, um, you know, for, for several of the projects that we got into. Um, so it's going to be exciting. Now, look, we're, we're very happy with the deals that we've made. I think, uh, a lot of that should start to unfold as, like I said, we were, we've been around two years now, a lot of the assets we were getting into, we are expecting to be kind of, you know, two, three years from production. Um, and so, you know, we're expecting a lot of that to start to pay dividends here for us. Um, you know, as we finish out this year, moving into 2023. And the, the timelines have been okay. You haven't had much slippage. Uh, I know there's been COVID in the middle of this, but you're, are you still two or three years away? Or do, I mean, I, I know we've just been talking about OTA, but, you know, the question is, has the, has the, the, the moment of truth kind of just pushed out or are you actually um, closer across a range of assets than you were? Yeah, no, we are. We are, yeah, no, there's a lot of these assets. Assets have been moving ahead. Uh, we million now raised over the last eighteen months, uh, going in across our portfolio of assets. Um, so they are moving steady progress. I'd say you know you've probably seen a uh, you know three to six month bump in in certain cases uh, just from COVID over the last couple of years. You know the uh, we have going on in Ukraine right now and and you know inflation. I'd say there's probably been a three to six month delay in, in certain assets uh, in terms of development, whether that's for you know financing availability or whatnot. Um, but, you know, generally, by and large, no, I mean, all these assets we got into are steadily marching forward. They've had tons of money going into them. Uh, and so, you know, that, that like I said, you know, we're expecting that to start to pay dividends here. Um, you know, in many cases, better than we expected uh, as we move in forward into 2023. Brendan, thank you very much. What a treat. I've really enjoyed the catch up um, and best of luck with the, with the news flow and the project deliveries and the royalty dealings and everything else that you're up to in, in, in the coming months. Well, I appreciate it, Marlon. It's always uh, fun to catch up with you. And, um, you know, thanks for, for going through our portfolio. I hope uh, investors find it useful.